Hi, this is Christy Showman Fair. And this is April Mazza. And this podcast is overdue. Each episode, we'll talk about books we're reading, things we're loving, and library advice we're giving. So let's start with some of the books we're loving. Um, actually, this is really kind of sad. I I checked out from Overdrive, Clap When You Land, the, uh, the audio version by oh, yeah. Elizabeth Acevedo. And I, I love her writing so much, but I let my, I let my loan lapse. <laughs> so I had, I started listening to it a while ago, the loan lapse, I put it a hold back on. Um, and then finally came in and I finished it. But the cool thing was that I didn't know was that it saved where I had left off in the recording. Oh, thank so, goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it was devastating. I I've had that happen with books before. Um, but it's usually like a, using the Kindle version of the ebook and I wasn't sure if it would work for an audiobook. So I was definitely very relieved. Um, I do love her writing so much but I really love listening to her narrate. I think because um, the books are written in verse and so they just sound very lyrical. And um, this one, if people are not familiar with it, this story has two main narrators. They're actually sisters. And so for the audiobook, um, Elizabeth Acevedo narrates one of the characters and then Melania, Luisa Marte, I think that's how you say her last name. There's actually no accent, but um, it's M-A-R-T-E. Uh, she narrates the other character and they sort of alternate, not necessarily always chapter by chapter, but um, different sections. And it's always very easy to tell who's speaking. Although usually uh, the chapter will start with the character's name. Um, but it just was a lovely listen, even though the topic is very, very sad. I would say even just like listening to parts of it would be really nice. It did win an Odyssey Honor Book Award for audio. Um, and that's the, the Youth Audio Book Award. But for people who don't know the story, it's these two teen girls who um, find out that they both have the same father, but they have never met each other. They didn't know about each other. One lives in New York and one is in the Dominican Republic um, and their father um, is killed during the flight AA587 crash, which I have to admit, I didn't know much about. And that um, author does talk about that in an interview I listened to where, because it was about a year after 9-11 and I think people just were still so focused on that. Um, but And she also said she purposely started with the, she starts with the tragedy. So I'm not really giving anything away. It, it starts with his death. And she sort of did that on purpose because she was kind of creating this world where there was no normalcy uh, before or normalcy. <laughs> we, we use the word normal and normalcy so much. I've got them all confused. But, you know, usually you have a book where a story where there's like a sense of a world and what is normal and then there's some sort of conflict and that's what you know drives you to want to keep reading the book and this sort of flips that 
Um, and you sort of learn what their these two girls' lives were like through kind of their memories and um, through the other people around them. And I thought that was really interesting. And when I was listening to it, I didn't really think about it that way at all. I didn't even realize that that's sort of what the format was. So um, if you haven't read her or any of her books, definitely check out Elizabeth Acevedo. I'm not, definitely not the first person <laughs> to highly recommend her writing, but if you've kind of put it off or if you really love audiobooks and you haven't listened to her narrate, um, yeah, do yourself a favor, check that out. Fun. What about you? So I also picked a YA book, but this, I picked a graphic novel. Um, and this is a, this, as if you can see it, this is the thing of being, doing podcasts. Not everybody can see what I'm holding up in front I of can, my face. <laughs> um, I cho- just read Juliet Takes a Breath, the graphic novel version. It's by Gabby Rivera and illustrated by Celia Moscote. And I have not read the prose version. But I know about Gabby Rivera. Um, she's an award-winning um, novelist. And I forget where I heard about this one, um, but it was on a list of, of graphic novels, recommended graphic novels. And I was p- placing holds for like 10 graphic novels at once. And I would say about 80% of the time when I'm placing holds for graphic novels, they're for my 11-year-old. Mm-hmm. And so a whole round of graphic novels came in and I grabbed this one off the, the pile to take when we were going on a car ride and I tossed it to her and said, oh, you might want to read this. Um, and she didn't want to at the time and that was fine. We got to the appointment we were going to and she had, because it's, you know, pandemic time, she goes in by herself and I sit in my car for an hour and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll read it instead. And I, as I started reading, I was like, oh, this is not one that I requested for my 11 year old. This really is way more um, YA than, than what she generally reads. Not that I don't think I would let her read it. I think it would be totally fine if she was interested. Um, but the, the story is about Juliet. She's 19, which right off the bat, you know, she's just in a different place in her life. She's in college. Um, it's summer. And she has been reading this um, book about uh you know, radical feminism in the, you know, radical positive feminism. And the um, the book that she has read is called Raging Flower, Empowering Your Pussy by Empowering Your Mind. <laughs> and she- Wait, the, is that the, a real book? Uh, no, <laughs> no, it, it's, I, I don't it think be. so. <laughs> I should probably have done that research, but um, it's written by this woman who lives in Portland, Oregon, and, and Juliet lives in the Bronx. And she writes a a letter to the author saying this book changed my life but I also think that you could learn a lot from me and through that Juliet gets an internship and um, flies out to Portland Oregon for the summer to work with the author um, whose name is Harlow and Harlow's a white woman and um, Juliet is Latina and um, and Juliet has also just recently come out to her mom and um, thinks that that basically has ruined their relationship. So that's basically the first two pages of the book. <laughs> and um, the, it, it is such an amazing, beautiful, warm um, coming of age, a queer coming of age mm. story. And I say warm is not just in the like storytelling and in the personalities, but also in the color palette. 
uh, the all of the colors are these warm oranges and pinks and purples and even the pages are color coded. Um, the Bronx is kind of this like warm tan color and then Portland, Oregon is a pink and then Miami is this bright orangeish yellow and I, it's just so beautifully done. Um, I also love that the all the body shapes are body positive and curvy and a wide variety of shapes and the details are just phenomenal. Um, uh, Celia Mascote's illustrations are gorgeous and I want to look at everything she's ever drawn. I looked this up bef just before we uh, started recording and noticed that this won um, a GLAAD Media Award for Outstanding Comic um, for 2021. So uh, I, I'm very happy that it did and I highly recommend it. Um, it just was a wonderful, wonderful read. Oh, cool. And I could see the cover and it does, it reminds me of like a sunset. Yes. Yes. Very, yeah. Very cool colors. Yes. And I inadvertently color coordinated all my post-it notes to it today. <laughs> I don't know if that was just kind of a, a feel that I had. <laughs> Everything needed to be this like gorgeous pink and purple and yellow just to, to match. I love it. Uh, the author, Gabby Rivera, I got to see her speak at ALA uh, right before the the novel version was published so I had no idea there was a graphic novel yeah I remember seeing the cover and I miss I mean and I think you know I don't I didn't see her speak about it um but I knew that it was out I wonder if I kind of wonder if it was in my lost year which is not <laughs> that sounds bad it wasn't really lost but I spend <laughs> you know this like when you're I on do. an awards committee you spend a year reading one specific type of yes. book and you know cyber year you spend 12 months, more than 12 months, actually reading right. just informational books and for kids. And I lost time. Yeah, you, you miss a lot and it's yeah. hard to catch up. Yeah. So I'm really glad that this, that, that this came out um, so that I could experience Juliet and her, her, her adventure. Speaking of books and um, especially borrowing them from the library, one of the questions that we've received is about requesting books, lots of books at the same time, and then having them all arrive at, at once. You know that feeling when you request like five books, they all have really long wait line, wait, mm -hmm. and then of course they all show up at the same exact time. So how do you choose what book you're going to read next? How do you choose, April? Well, I was going to make a joke that that's never happened to me, but that happens to me <laughs> almost every time I put a book, more than one book on hold. Um, and yes, yeah, sometimes it, I mean, I love that the, most of the systems show you like how long your expected wait is, but you know, people are people and they return things early or, you know, whatever. And, or more libraries buy copies. So yes, this has totally happened to me. I think for me right now, where I'm not on any book related committees, I'm not reviewing any books. Um, I don't necessarily have to recommend books to any patrons. It's almost too much freedom. <laughs> To read like I can read anything I want at any time basically so when I get a bunch of books it's really just by mood or you know if it is something like 
like I've been waiting for a really long time or I'm really excited about the author or, um, you know, someone just told me about the book. So it's fresh in my mind. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've requested a book. It comes in and I'm like, why, what, when, who yeah. did this? <laughs> and I'm usually, you know, I'm, I'm not in the mood anymore. <laughs> or just that, like, I don't remember. It's, it's a really random title. Like, what was I thinking? And who knows? But um, or like when you request yeah. books and they come in another language. Well, that was <laughs> because I wasn't paying attention. Um, it was still fun, though. Uh, so I don't know. I don't really have a system. So I'm curious what you do. Yeah, I actually agree with the like too much freedom is hard, you know, not have any parameters. Mm-hmm. I don't have a a system that is the same every single time. I do kind of try to keep in mind, you know, what is the thing that's probably going to have more people waiting. Um, But I tend to get a variety of books at once. And so I often will try to read them all at once, which isn't always successful. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You, do you read more than one book at a time? Oh my gosh. I do. I cannot. I do. Oh, I, 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 ha- I read books in different contexts. So like right now I'm reading um, a fiction book that I started reading the other day while waiting for a child and an appointment. I'm listening to an audio book. Um, I also have always, almost always have at least one graphic novel around because that's a good quick, usually quickish read. Uh, and then I often also have a nonfiction book going. Wow, I see. I can do an audiobook and a, a print book at the same time. And I often do have that going. I could see adding a graphic novel into the mix. And obviously I'll read like, I can read a bunch of picture books while also reading <laughs> <laughs> a chapter book at the same time. But I cannot think of one time where I had like two novels going at once I just don't think I would like it yeah no I have two right now and partly because so I, I'm reading uh last night at the telegraph club me too Mandalo, um which is we can talk about it together we'll play um, on that one and I bought that one and so mm-hmm. I own it and then mm-hmm. I'm also reading uh we are not free by Ch- Tracy Chi which came in on hold. And so I actually put down last night at the Telegraph Club for a little while because I own it. There's, it doesn't feel like there's as much pressure to finish it right away mm-hmm. and picked, picked up We Are Not Free and started reading that. But I'm also reading another book I have out from the library, <laughs> which is just in that the other one is just it's light, fluffy fantasy. And I don't know, you know, you kind of balance how you feel in your mood. Mm-hmm. At least I do. So and this time I actually had t- three books show up at once. Uh, we Are Not Free. Um, and then Winter Keep by Kristen Kishore, which is the newest one in the um, in her Graceling world. That. Yes. And I've been waiting for that and super excited about it. Um, and then I also have Algorithms of Oppression by Sophia Yumoja Noble. Uh, so that's nonfiction about how things like Google and Instagram and YouTube, the algorithms actually have racism basically baked mm. into them um and so i i was trying to decide between winter creep keep and we are not free and decided to read we are not free because it came out first mm-hmm. and um 
and I've had it on my to read list for so much, much, much longer and felt like I would be in a better position to be part of the national conversation Mm -hmm. around the book and around the national book awards and prints from last year, but also um, kind of an additional ability to support Asian American authors Mm -hmm. during a political moment when I think it's really important to do so. So that's how I chose. Right. Oh, that's, that's good. That's interesting. I, when you're talking about that, it also made me think like, if something was very popular, um, either it had a lot of holes or like you said, it's kind of part of a conversation lots of people are having or thinking about, then that would probably bump it up for me. But also while you were talking, I was thinking about how I hardly ever buy a book because if I own a book, I'll never read it. Yes. <laughs> I, I feel, I, I feel really bad about that. <laughs> well, you just I, feel I, like you have all the time in the world, like but if yeah. you get a library book, you got to return it. So you got to bump that one to the top. And I will say, I I very specifically purchased, I pre-ordered um, mm-hmm. Melinda Lowe's book because um, I love her writing. I've loved everything she's ever written. And she also was our a Teen Summit mm-hmm. keynote speaker a couple of years ago. And probably one of the coolest and easiest people to work with in hiring a speaker. Definitely. And I wanted to support her work and buy a copy of the mm-hmm. book. Now it's working against me because it's taken me so long to read it. Not because it's not compelling and beautiful, but because I also just have this you know, compulsion to keep checking things out from the library. So um, I need to stop. I totally get that though. Same. And also <laughs> same about Melinda Lowe. She's amazing. She really is. And a Massachusetts author. That's right. So each episode, we also want to talk a little bit about something we've learned lately. So it could be an article or webinar. Last time we talked about the class we both took. Right. Uh, do you want to do you want to start us off? Do you have something that you want to sure. share? Yeah. So last time we um, when we were talking about our calendar, we mentioned the um, transforming teen services workshops that I'm facilitating um, for MLS. And part of doing that, uh, the content is coming from Yelsa, but um, our co- my co-trainer, Lindsay Forbes, who is at the Mass Board of Library Commissioners, she and I actually have added additional content for the, the course. And in the process of doing that, I've m- discovered some uh, resources that I had never seen before. So one um, that I found and then actually I've built into our course is from the Kirwan Institute uh, for the Study of Race, Race and Ethnicity. It's at The Ohio State University. And I had had content from them before as in the form of articles. Um, and they're really fabulous. But in kind of poking around, I found this implicit bias module series. And what it is, is it's a series of really short videos, like two to five minutes long talking about what implicit bias is, giving examples, talking about where it comes from, how to kind of stop it in your tracks, but also then has activities that people can do to kind of dig in deeper and understand what those implicit biases are. And I just thought that the the whole way that they formatted it was really interesting. I love the videos. They're people who work in the Institute and they're all really 
kind of like just engaging and interesting. And uh, you can watch a video here and there, or you can do the whole thing, which I probably would take a couple of hours to do the whole training. And even though I've been doing implicit bias training and social justice training, equity and inclusion work for a while now, I always learn something new when I go and find a new resource. And that is completely true with this training. And I highly, highly recommend it, especially if you don't have time to take a whole like semester long course, mm-hmm. or you just want to kind of dip, dip your toe in and see what everybody's talking about. Oh, I will definitely check that out. Yeah. So we'll put the link to that in our show notes. Awesome. And we'll give you that link towards the end of the program. Yeah. Because we want you to keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> A little enticement there. Hear it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that sounds great. I am. Um, so I was thinking back on a webinar. I actually listened to it back in February. So my memory is a little hazy, but uh, there, there is a recording online. It's from the NNLM, which is National Network of Libraries of Medicine or similar. Very good. <laughs> I cannot always remember the acronym, but they do really great uh, programming, actually really great webinars. And they're not they're not always, um, what do I want to say? Like very medical. They run a lot of topics, cover a lot of topics, I should say. And this one was called self-care during stressful times. The presenter was JJ Pianchi. Again, I feel like all this podcast is just going to be me apologizing for messing up names. But since I listened to it a while ago, I, I don't quite remember if that's correct, but, um, he is, a an applied health sciences librarian out in Illinois. And what I liked about this, uh, this particular webinar was that it wasn't just about those moments of self-care that we do, like, you know, in the description, it mentions like bubble baths and coloring. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there are other things that are part of self-care that actually might seem more, uh, I want to say like other people facing, right? So like one of the things that he brought up was like setting boundaries and that, that actually comes with its own stress, but it's part of self-care. Like you, you have to be able to do that, to take care of yourself and that it's okay to set boundaries. It's okay to say no to things, um, because you're, you're taking care of yourself and Absolutely. you really do have to take care of yourself first. Um, you know, I'm just, I just really believe that. And I, I feel like the, there's like kind of this conversation about self-care happening and none of it is wrong necessarily, but I think a lot of things kind of get jumbled there where like, you know, we, we can't expect, you know, the bubble bath to cure systemic racism, for instance, or workplace bullying, or, you know, an oppressive manager, of course, that's not gonna, not gonna work. But, you know, there are, there's sort of two levels of this where if you, if it feels good to you to sleep in on your day off, (laughs) even though like, you feel like you're supposed to be cleaning the house or whatever, um, sleep in, you know, if you need to go for a walk after lunch so that you feel better, 
um, and you're able to do that, then, then you should do that. But what was great about this webinar, as I said, is it also talked about things that go beyond that to get to the point where we can prevent the circumstances for which we are getting stressed out and need, you know, like to tackle the systemic problems. I think you have to kind of start with being okay first. You know, if you're, if you're sort of completely overwhelmed by all of this, you're not going to be able even to approach those problems. But I, I think just by, you know, talking about self-care, giving each other ideas about self-care does not negate the fact that there are some real problems um, in the workplace, <laughs> outside the workplace, you know, in the world. It's like that uh, meme yeah. that I sent you, the, or I think it wasn't, it wasn't even really a meme. It was from on Twitter, I think that um, about, you know, self-care can't ever get away from the fact that we need better time and right. not better, but better workloads and hours and that there's a lot of stuff that has to come from our higher up and outside mm -hmm. of ourselves. But that doesn't, again, it doesn't negate the need for naps. Right. And, <laughs> and yes. funny Yeah, no, that and, was, that was good because it was about, it was more directed towards management saying, hey, managers or supervisors, don't, you know, don't talk to me about self-care, meaning the cup of tea, the yoga, whatever, um, without addressing these problems. Yes, and exactly. so that, that is kind of like perfectly <laughs> sums that up. Um, I can, you know, give myself, you know, the manicure or, mick mm -hmm. um, well, really, self care is having someone else do that for me, but it's been a while. Just picturing our boss, you know, like saying, like, yeah. well, the bosses are now going to give manicures. Like, no, 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 no that doesn't yeah. work. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, you know, there's lots of things that I do think that, you know, the people who have that kind of control can do to, to mm -hmm. help their staff. And I wouldn't file it under self care at all. Like, no. self care really is you know, what you do for yourself to feel better. And I also just feel like, you know, lots of our friends and colleagues um, that are struggling in ways that maybe we aren't, you know, our, our um, friends who are um, BIPOC, so mm -hmm. um, Black, Indigenous, people of color, um, you know, our friends and colleagues who might be trans, you know, there's lots of, we just had a national trans day and lots of people were sharing different things on social media. And at the same time we have, um, you know, legislation at different levels trying to uh, stop, uh, you know, young people from getting the medical care that they need, the surgery they need, or, you know, I mean, there, I heard on the radio a bunch, there's like too many in too many states to to go over. And that's very stressful, you know, for right. people living through that. And and so it's also just important and okay to take breaks from that too. Yeah. Like even if you are, um, you know, you are an activist and you are part of the community. Um, I just feel like it can be very, 
harmful to never step away and Mm -hmm. to you know have a laugh or you know whatever like or just to have it be quiet because there really is just so much noise um and it's so negative right and also that um to acknowledge that even if the those legislations or the issues or the the news stories are somewhere else that -hmm. doesn't mean that it doesn't impact you right because seeing people within your community, whatever community that you're talking about, seeing people in that community suffer, it feels, it is a direct attack on yourself. It feels like that it's emotionally draining and you do need to make sure you're giving yourself time to recover um, before you can go to battle, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. And I feel like I kind of went off on a little tangent. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Away from the topic, but um but I think it just kind of does all roll together where I think, especially right now, we feel like we're kind of, like you said, a battle. It's like battling, whether it's um, administration, town, state, <laughs> you know, up to the national level, international. Um, and then at the same time, v- feeling very much um, isolated and because of the pandemic or how, you know, it's like a local and a very big level of stress. So Mm -hmm. I think just going back to the topic, like the self-care is the local level of handling it. Mm -hmm. And then there are ways of kind of dealing with the bigger stuff that, yeah, again, it's not going to be a bubble bath. (laughs) Yeah, no. And, and kind of tying this all back up to the type of work that we do, you know, if you're trying to deal with larger issues, that's when you seek out help. And so if you're a librarian in Massachusetts, you can seek out help by, you know, reaching out to us. Uh, if you're in a different state, there hopefully, and you're, you know, a library worker, there are other people who help or, or for whatever field that you may be in, um, looking to the, the people who support your type of work. Um, and then, focus on yourself with your own self-care, but also call in backup. It's okay to do that. Absolutely. And that's a good segue to what we're going to talk about next, which is what's coming up at MLS, the Mass Library System. Uh, We do have some, I think, really great virtual programs. I put them together, so I'm a little biased. Uh, One, the first one coming up, one is Tribal Nations at Your Library. This is a webinar with Naomi Bishop. She chaired the American Indian Youth Literature Awards Committee from 2014 to 18. And I listened to a really great webinar um, that she did that was about the award. And so I just knew right away I would like to get her to present for us. And that's for all ages uh, of content. And then the next one is... Uh, from Renee Grassi. So a lot of people might recognize her name and her workshop is titled Creating Accessible Virtual Programs for Children with Disabilities and Their Families. It's for two hours and it's aimed at increasing awareness of the value of accessibility and inclusion in virtual programming. And it's going to cover accessibility tools and strategies uh, that you can apply in virtual story time. I'm really excited about that one too. Both of them, really. Uh, I love that 
we have such a wide variety of offerings because then we get to learn from yes our the wor- <laughs> workshops as well. I'm going to talk a little bit about what's coming up from a statewide um, perspective. So the Massachusetts Library Association Conference is May 17th through 19th. We don't do any of the planning for this. We just, we support MLA and love that um, they put on a great conference every year. Um, and, but this year uh, it is all virtual and uh, I'm super excited about some of the keynote speakers, specifically Julius Jefferson. He is uh, the current ALA president and April and I feel like he's our buddy. Yay, <laughs> he's not, yes. but I, well, I mean, <laughs> April met him in a taxi at a conference <laughs> and uh, you know, had a really great conversation with him. He works at the Library of Congress and uh, she convinced him to speak to our cohort of learners for Project Set, which is our uh, leadership um, learning program at MLS. And he's just really great to talk to. And I'm so excited that he is going to be one of the keynote speakers. So please definitely look for that mm-hmm. session. And then a personal plug, I am actually presenting twice uh, at MLA this year. And I'm so sorry if you can hear my dog barking <laughs> in the background. He is very what? protective. I don't know what you mean at all. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, full disclosure, we are recording these are at our houses. Um, okay, so, but at uh, MLA, I'm presenting twice this time. Once um, about Project Ready, which is Project Ready is uh, reimagining equity and um, accessibility for diverse youth. It's actually a program from the University of North Carolina, and we facilitated cohorts here in Massachusetts for the last year. And I'm going to be doing a presentation with Massachusetts librarians Erin Daly and Jessica Phillips, who were both participants, and talking about that experience and, and what it was like. And then I'm also presenting with Lindsay Forms, who I mentioned earlier. She is uh, at the Massachusetts Board of Library Commissioners, and she and I are doing the larger Transforming Teen Services program, um, which is a, a national um, IMLS YALSA funded program. But for that, we are actually going to present about why libraries should have dedicated teen librarians. So. If you work in a library, get your library director to go to that session, especially if you don't have a full-time teen librarian, because that is where we're going to talk about why you really should. And we know that teen librarians already know this information. You don't have to show up if you're a teen librarian, though we'd love to have you. We really do want to convince the stakeholders and the decision makers to, um, to fund teen services in public libraries. So uh, you'll find a link to our calendar. And our Vimeo page and our with our that has our archived webinars and some of the other things we've talked about today in the show notes, which you can find at tinyurl.com slash this pod. So before we go, what are we what do you love right now? What are you loving? Tell me more. Oh, oh, I love so many things. But I'm gonna really like gush about this blog called Chocolate Covered Katie, which I first learned about from our coworker, Kelly, and um, had read some of the blog posts. Uh, she she does um, cooking and recipes, um, but a lot of vegan recipes, which I'm not vegan, but for a long time had to cook, uh, bake at least vegan because of um, food allergies that are in my family. And, uh, recently tried the um, chocolate covered, or no, 
she's chocolate covered Katie, but the <laughs> deep dish chocolate chip cookie pie. And I just alone. Oh man, good. it is fantabulous. But the thing that really is mind blowing is that it's made from chickpeas and it is completely vegan. You put all the rest, all the ingredients into the food processor. So two cans of chickpeas plus brown sugar and vanilla and a few, a few other things blend it all up. And what comes out tastes like cookie dough. It's magic. It is truly magic. And then you bake it and then it comes out and it's like this gooey chocolate chip cookie amazingness. And my family went nuts. Even (laughs) after I told them that it was chickpeas, my, my seven-year-old refuses to eat beans in any form and still thought this was the most amazing thing ever. And so since then I've sent the recipe to multiple people, told them to make it. A couple of them have, um, And I also need to give a shout out to my friend, Jennifer, who had made it this specific recipe and said that I had to make it. So um, I am all about any recipe that this is on this blog now. My next one that I want to do is um, black bean brownies. With beets. No, no, no beets. Oh, I thought you said beets. Oh, no, beans. That makes more sense. It's a whole nother episode, me talking about why I don't like beets. (laughs) No, we talk about what we love, not what we hate. <laughs> um, well, my what do you love? thing, my thing I actually got from you. It's called Thinking Putty. <gasps> oh, I love it. And I'm gonna squeeze it right now. Let's see if, it, if it, it, you can hear it if I pop it. Um, yours was oh, I did hear it. Oh, you can hear it when you open the can. Oh yeah, my can doesn't make that noise. Yeah. All right, so Thinking Putty is putty, kind of like silly putty, if you remember that. Um, but it comes in a can, not an egg. And the one I have, I got in my stocking a few years ago. And we have a little black cat. And this is um, called Scaredy Cat. And it's like a dark purple with some glitter. And there's a little black cat on the label. And But that's not the important part. The important part <laughs> is that I had it and I was sort of like, Thanks, Santa. Uh, and kind of <laughs> forgot about it. And then you told me that you used it sort of as like a fidget in all these online meetings. We just have tons of virtual meetings or you're listening to a webinar or whatever. And it's really nice to have something to kind of play around with um, that is generally quiet. Yes, <laughs> and yeah. So I remembered like, oh, I got that, but I think I gave it away, but I found it. So it's sort of like a uh, I'm reloving it. Oh, it's um, so amazing. It actually has a purpose. <laughs> <laughs> it's also really fun to stab. Not that, you know, <laughs> not that I go around <laughs> wanting to stab things, but yeah, it's just like you put a you can put a pen or pencil in there and kind of poke around. And... I'm laughing hard because I am currently fidgeting with an <laughs> unfolded paper clip that I use for stabbing my thinking buddy. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll put links to these, the blog and the putty in the chat too. But yeah, even if you just have regular silly putty, you just might have something like this in your house that you're like, I never had a use for it. And now, now, you know, it's a good, it's magic. good, good, good toy. <laughs> well, I think our time is up. Yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening to This Podcast is Overdue with Christy and April. Bye, everyone. Happy reading.
Our podcast music was provided by thepodcasthost.com and Alidu, the podcast maker. Find your own free podcast music over at thepodcasthost.com slash free music. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And we hope to you. I was going to say, we hope to see you again soon. (laughs) (laughs) Let's spread the outtake. Um, All right.